0: All right, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to continue our series in this book of Ephesians. And kids, here's your preview. This morning I want you to think about what what a church is and and why it matters. What does the word church even mean? That might be a place to start, kids. Because we often think of a meeting, don't we? Hey we're going to church this morning and and that's true we gather as churches but a church is really a church is really more than a meeting it is a meeting that a, a group of people that gather and meet but it's a group of people that are defined by the gospel a group of people defined by the good news of Jesus a church is a group of people who believe teach and celebrate that good news through the Lord's Supper, and baptism. We are a people defined by that gospel. And my point to you this morning, kids, is there's nothing else like the church on the face of the earth. And keep that thought in your mind. Nothing else like the church of Jesus Christ the whole face of the earth. Catch that even as Emily reads our passage for us this morning.
1: Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 13 For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. I am the very least of the saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God right now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose That he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is the glory, the word of the Lord. Emily, author Paul Tripp
0: calls it the "me is sick" approach to life. The me approach to life, meistic, meaning putting our our wants, the desires of me, of me, before everything else. Meistic really is the culture we live in, isn't it? It's it's the air we breathe of me, myself, and I. And living in that culture is like having a propane heater. That is not sufficiently ventilated. The fumes start to build up, so to speak, and they lull us into a dangerous sleep, a meistic sleep. That toxic air puts us in a daze about our lives and about the church. We start to focus in the church on what we can consume over how we can serve. We start to focus in the church on what we can simply get over what we can give. We start to focus on our preferences for the church over the object of our praise. And what we need, friends, what we need is what C.S. Lewis describes in his book, The Silver Chair in the Chronicles of Narnia series. In the silver chair, the evil witch has Jill, Eustace, and a creature called Puddlegum as prisoners as prisoners in her underground lair. She's trying to convince them that there's no world, no Narnia outside of her cavern. So she seeks to lull them to sleep. She lulls them to sleep with soft music, dim lights, and a pleasant smell. And she lies to them. She says, there's no land called Narnia. There never was any world but mine. And then Puddlegum, Puddlegum does what what this passage wants to do for us he goes over and stamps his feet in a fire, (laughs) which wakes him up and clears his head, and he's awake then to the witch's lies and treachery. Friends, for people getting lulled to sleep in a me-istic culture, people who breathe in the toxic air of me, myself, and I, we need to stamp our feet in this passage. We need to wake up, friends, to the fact that a personal relationship with God is not just lived out personally, but corporately in the church. You see, God wants to clear our heads this morning, my friends. God wants to clear our heads, showing us that the church is central in God's purposes and so should be central in our own lives. There's a lot of this passage we won't touch on, but I think that's the main takeaway. The fire in which to stamp our feet, to see that the church is central in God's purposes, and thus is to be central in your life and mine. Let's see that in two ways, two aspects of that centrality. First, first, in the church, God unites the people in Christ, in the church, God unites a very different people in Christ. See, the apostle is about to pray for his readers, but he stops himself, if you'll notice. Before I pray, let me explain my ministry to you. Let me explain my ministry in terms of the mystery. Did you see that? The mystery cropping up? Verse 3. The mystery, he says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Again in verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Again in verse 9, he says he preaches, he preaches to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God. Now when you see mystery here, don't think Agatha Christie. Don't think Sherlock Holmes. Mystery here is not a who done it. Here, mystery is something previously hidden that's now been unveiled. Something previously hidden that's now been revealed by God. And verse 6 tells us what has now been revealed. Look at verse 6. It says, This mystery, this mystery is that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are Fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. He said Jewish and Gentile Christians now united that way in the church. Co-heirs, you might say. Co-members of the same body. Co-partakers of the same promises. The The mystery is not that the Gentiles would... Would somehow come to God in some fashion. I mean, God had promised all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, I'm gonna give you a land, I'm gonna make you a people, and through you bring bless bring, ble- <laughs> bring blessing to all peoples of the earth. The mystery is not that somehow the Gentiles might know God. The mystery is that these people who are deeply divided, Jew and Gentile, are joined together on fully equal terms in the people of God. The mystery is that Gentiles are now included on fully equal terms in one body, one people, the church, co-heirs, co-members, co-partakers, as God's people together. And this, friends, this is all part of God's purpose that He introduced to us Back in chapter 1, in chapter 1, he said, quote, that God's purpose was to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians 1.10, God's purpose to unite all things, he says, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. That's God's purpose in the universe no matter who wins an election in November, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter how long this pandemic lasts, this is what God will do. God will unite all things in Christ and under Christ, all things in heaven and on earth. And here we find the church, the church is a central expression of that purpose in the earth. Colonial era theologian, Jonathan Edwards, put it like this in a sermon. He said, the creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end. Now, how would you finish that sentence? The creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end, dot, dot, dot. What would you say? Edward said that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse, a bride, as Ephesians 5 puts it. The creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse. That's what you're seeing when you connect Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. It's the eternal Son of God obtaining a spouse, the bride of Christ. And notice how he does this back to verse 6 notice how he does this this mystery is that the gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise notice the next three words in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus through the gospel those words in Christ Jesus represent a key truth in this book a key takeaway from this series, it refers to how Christians are united to Christ in spiritual union with Jesus. It's kind of like how we speak about our favorite sports teams. My, my good friends, Joshua Morgan and Steve Farrington, I'm not making fun of them at all, they are big San Diego Padres fans. And, and to all the Padres fans here, I'm sorry, it was a great season. And I know they just lost to the the hated Dodgers. Next year's gonna be even better, right, Mindy? Next year's gonna be good. They had a great year, not putting that down. But if you ask Joshua or Steve or, or Mindy or Dave Fenska about the Padres this week, they will say, we lost. They won't say the Padres lost. They will say, we lost. Right? Because that's how a sports fan thinks. They are united with their team. Their team wins. We win. Their team loses. We lost. What happens to the team, happens to you. That's union with Christ. And the spiritual plan. What happens to Jesus, happens to you. Jesus won. You won. You're alive in Christ. But. But for the sports fan, it's not just union with your team, you also experience a sense of union with fans of the same team. Now, I experienced this once, and I may have told this story before, but bear with me. I experienced this once, living in Chicago. A friend invited me to a playoff game for the Chicago White Sox, and I I was a Chicago White Sox fan until I converted to a San Diego Padres fan. So I've had a a White Sox playoff game, and playoff baseball is intense. It's a packed stadium, 60,000 people. The White Sox have lost game one, as I recall, and now in game two, they are losing, and it's the eighth inning. But they've got runners on base, and a line drive is hit right in front of us into the left field corner, scoring the go-ahead run. 60,000 people interrupt, including myself. And I turn around and I start high-fiving the people behind me, yes, yes, yes. People I had never met, (laughs) never talked to before, or since, why? Because there's a real sense in which we feel united together. We are fellow fans of the same team. We are winning. Our team is winning. We're winning. We are all winning, all 60,000 of us. We feel united to our team, united to the fans of the same team. That's what's being described in verse 6. Now, how much more profound is our union when it is not in a sports team, but in the Son of God. Do you feel the union you should feel with those around you right now? We start to appreciate the significance of verse six, co-heirs, co-members, co-partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, the church is a central expression of God's plan, God's plan to unite everything in the universe under Christ. So, apply this to the local church. (coughs) Apply this to this context. Because the local church is really where we live out these truths about the universal church, the worldwide body of Christ. I like to say, there are no parking lots for the universal church. There are no meeting times or meeting places for the universal church. Friends, you live these things out in the local church. And we live out our union together in the local church in what's called fellowship. Fellowship, that just means participating together. Sharing life in Christ Together and we've been stressing the importance of our home groups as a primary context for fellowship. Our goal, our goal is that every member of Grace Church be a regular part of a home group, not as a requirement, but as a goal for your spiritual good as a goal for your spiritual benefit, as a context to walk out this union we have with Christ and with each other. I mean, didn't we feel, friends, didn't we feel the importance of this connection during the the pandemic shut-in during the spring? For 12 Sundays, we had to cancel our services And we relied on our home groups, yes we did but we relied on our home groups like never before to keep us connected as a body. What we want is that pandemic priority to be our regular priority. That every member gets to enjoy a context where we care for each other and we encourage each other and we apply God's word to help each other and experience life together in Christ together. In the church, friends, God unites a people in Christ as he is uniting all things in the universe in Christ. Second, through the church, God displays the riches of Christ. In the church, God unites a people in Christ. And through the church, through the church, God puts on display the riches of Jesus Christ look at verse 7 of the gospel he says I was made a minister a servant according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power so having explained the mystery now he goes on to unpack his ministry verse 8 to me to me though I am the very least of all the saints this Grace. He says, this grace was given to preach, to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, Paul was uniquely entrusted with this ministry to preach to the Gentiles as an apostle. But what about today? We have no apostles. But does not the church still engage in this preaching ministry? Absolutely. Jerry just reminded us of that. So we can broaden the meaning to include our lives today. And when Paul says he preaches, this word preach, it literally means announce good news. Think of it that way announce good news. The good news, he says, the good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ in verse 8. Now that word unsearchable seems to be a little challenging for translators to communicate. The New American Standard Version of the Bible says the unfathomable riches of Christ. The New International Version of the Bible says the boundless riches of Christ. The picture is of a a body of water, and it's so deep, you can never find the bottom of this body of water. It's the riches of Christ we've we've seen in this letter so far. Unfathomable, boundless, unsearchable riches that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we who are dead in sin are alive in Christ. That we were under God's wrath, are his beloved children. That we who had no hope in the world are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. And and we who are hating others and being hated ourselves are now joined in this one body, the body of Christ, the church. Do you feel the unfathomable, unsearchable, boundless riches of Jesus? Now if you're here this morning and you've yet to trust in Christ, thank you for coming. These riches are held out to everyone who believes and so I just want to pause and I want to invite you, to really urge you to trust in Christ, to turn to Jesus, King of the Universe and surrender to Him and hope Him. Trust only in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, to bring you to God. And then you will know these boundless riches in Jesus and their life-transforming effect. But for the Christian, we have the privilege of announcing those riches. We get to announce those riches to those realms. That's why we're also asking every member to have what I'm calling a a one life, so to speak. One person that we can consistently pray for and reach out to with the love of Christ. God, God built my faith about this recently. I was thinking about this goal with honestly some trepidation personally. And I have a group of friends that I regularly work out with. And I was running next to a guy that I hadn't caught up with in a while. And I said, hey, what's new? And he said, well, one thing, I'm reading the Bible lately. And I just thought, Lord, my faith is too small. Lord, my faith, forgive me, Lord, my faith is too small. And as we talked and he related things that were happening in his life and why he was reading the Bible, I said, hey, I've got this study in the book of John for people just like you. Would you like to do that together? He said to me, that sounds perfect for me. We started meeting together to look at the book of John. And I've been reminded, it is such a joy, such a joy to announce the riches of Christ to those around us. So friends, pray and ask God to lead you to at least one person that you can have this joy of announcing good news to them as well. Pray for them. Ask God. Now as we preach and the gospel advances and the church is built, something amazing happens. Look at verse 10 Verse 10 says, so that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, he says, God puts on display his Manifold wisdom. Literally, you might say his multi colored, multi faceted wisdom. It's called wisdom that a multicultural, multiracial, multinational body is being built in Jesus Christ. And notice to whom we display this wisdom. It says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, who is that? Well, perhaps its angelic beings, but but those terms show up again in this letter, in chapter 6, when Paul is speaking of, quote, spiritual forces of evil. So it might be, it might be that as the gospel is preached, and very different people are delivered from a demonic grip like we see in Ephesians 2 and they are joined together these different people joined together in the church like in Ephesians 3 6 that that displays God's wisdom of a multicultural multiracial multinational body of Christ it is really like cosmic theater that even surpasses Hamilton and of this cosmic theater, God has written the script. And He is directing the play. And we, in the church, are the performers, you might say, on the stage. And in verse 10, the audience is a cosmic one rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It's as if God is saying to a cosmic realm, Look at how I flipped the script in the lives of these people. Come and see rulers and authorities, come and see how I made them alive in union with my son and come and see how I united them together in one body. Come and see how I turned the deepest human divisions into the deepest human unity in Christ, in the church. And of this he says in verse 11, this, this was according to the eternal purpose the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord the church friends is central to God's eternal purpose is there any other organization like this in the earth any any other group through whom God is making a cosmic statement to the spiritual realm anyone anything like the church do you see why Christianity can never be meistic, as Paul Tripp put it do you see why Christianity can never be just Jesus and me it's because the church is central in God's purposes and so is to be central in our own lives. And knowing this, brothers and sisters, knowing this should make a serious difference for us. There was a study I read about some years ago, a study done in which students in a classroom were told to simultaneously slouch and look disinterested. So simultaneously, they would drop their heads and look away. And as they did this, the teacher, the professor, would start speaking in a dull and monotone voice. And then the students were told to give the professor their full focus and undivided attention, and the professor would begin to speak in an excited, animated fashion. And the study showed the difference it makes of being the focus of someone's attention. But what if it's God giving us his attention in the church? What if it's God giving the church his focus attention? Shouldn't that make a difference for you and me? I mean, ask yourself, has the church taken a bit of a backseat for me? Have other interests, other preferences become more central in my life? If so, stamp your feet in this fire. Maybe, Maybe God doesn't want you to fit the church into your life. Maybe God wants to fit your life into his eternal purpose in the church. Could that be? Maybe God doesn't want you to fit your to fit the church into your life. He wants your life to fit into his eternal purpose in the church. Notice the difference this makes the Apostle Paul. He's writing from prison, but he says in verse 13, so I ask you, verse 13, not to lose heart, not to lose heart over what I am suffering in prison for you Gentiles, which is for your glory. He says, don't lose heart, don't lose heart because I'm suffering for you Gentiles. Don't lose heart. I'm suffering for God's purpose to unite our people in the church. I'm suffering for God's display of the riches of Christ through the church. So don't lose heart, he says, and God would say the same to us. Don't lose heart. Where might you be losing heart as it relates to the church? Where are you losing hearts? I hope you're seeing, and I don't mean this offensively, but I hope you're seeing that the problem may not be with the church. The problem may be that your understanding of the church is too small. And that your doctrine of the church needs to be enlarged with God's Word. So ask yourself, where perhaps am I losing heart about gathering in a Sunday service like this? Maybe that's taken a back seat for you. Realize, friends, realize that gathering like this is gathering visibly and tangibly in the purposes of God. It's gathering concretely in what God is particularly paying attention to in the earth. And as we do so, as we gather, cosmic theater is taking place as you display the riches of Christ. Couldn't I envision you and help you not lose heart on Sunday mornings? Or maybe we're losing heart. Maybe you're losing heart about serving in the church. Back when we had a children's ministry, <laughs> pre-COVID, or maybe even now in the set of crew, the greeting ministry we can wonder "Ah, does this really matter maybe we don't serve with the same joy that we once did well realize this realize you're serving in a central expression of god's purpose in the earth you're serving where god unites people in his son and displays the riches of his son doesn't that inject fresh meaning and significance into how you serve them? Or maybe we lose heart about giving financially to the ministry of the gospel. Or we lose heart about pursuing fellowship in small groups. Listen, God has joined us together as He is creating a spouse for His Son across the earth. at that land up. God has joined us together as He is creating a bride for His Son. So as we give and as we gather in our small groups, as we care for each other and encourage each other and help each other, behold the utter significance of what you join in. You see, like Puddle Gum, like Puddle Gum in the Chronicles of Narnia, we can stamp our feet in this fire. To wake ourselves up again and again in a meistic world and have the Holy Spirit clear our heads to see that the church is central in God's purposes and so is to be central in our lives. Amen. Let's pray to that, end, shall we? And those who are going to serve us the Lord suffer can prepare to do so. But let's respond to God together. Maybe maybe God's been lovingly speaking to you this morning. Maybe even giving the sweet gift of conviction. Take a moment to respond. Don't waste that gift. Respond to Him right like Whatever He's speaking to you about. Ask Him to help you. Take it to heart and enjoy all the good things he has to do with his people. Ah, ah, ah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this. This glimpse into Paul's ministry, which provides a lens for your purposes, this glimpse into the centrality in your eyes of the Church of Jesus Christ, that you, Father, are creating a spouse for your son through his finished work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so help us, Spirit of God, to behold and to enjoy his glorious purpose. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.